Hi, this is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast, a podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Well, today we're in Boogahalla, North Carolina, talking to Jeff Sundell about the early days of uh, No Place Left in North America. I hope you all enjoy the podcast. I'd had a 360, you know, more or less interview done on myself by my a peer-to-peer type thing. So, you know, I'm looking at this thing after my peer-to-peer and we're reorganizing and, you know, what's next steps? Where am I going um, organizationally? And I just remember being on, I was literally just working out, out uh, walking and had been doing some exercise that morning. And God just clearly said um, something I didn't want to hear was, I want you to go back to the U.S. And, um, and I'm like, what, you know, uh, you know, cause I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, man, I'm, I'm sitting here. My responsibility is for the heart of lostness on the face of the earth, which is sort of this, this area in Northern India. So that, that was, um, that was really hard to hear in, in, in reality. And then I remember going back and sharing that with Angie. And at the same time, my daughter, Miriam, who probably was 11, I don't know, I'm guessing 11 years old at that time. Um, she was going from, you know, elementary school to middle school. Hmm. She, she came up just real matter of factly and she's always had a little bit of that profit in her. And she's like, daddy, we're going to America. And I'm like, no, we're not, Mm. you know? So, um, you know, so I, I can't really say the only thing I knew personally in my heart was that God clearly said that what you've been involved in, in India, you are to do here. And, you know, and the reality is you could try and train people to do this, but if you don't do it yourself, nobody's going to listen to you. So it literally meant, you know, you're going out, prayer walking, praying, sharing the gospel, and and you're trusting in those principles that you saw in Scripture and what you saw in the Father's heart right there in your backyard. But the reality is you don't really know what the best practices are. You don't really clearly know what tools work best, you know? And so I think on one side, we started with principles, but just a clear sense of, Hey, God said to do this, um, you know, but, Mm. um, pretty overwhelmed, you know, cause Angie, you know, we, we literally wiped out our, um, literally wiped out our life savings by time Angie got a job. And she started, you know, when you've been overseas for 10 years, it's a, it's a little bit of um, Napoleon dynamite or Napoleon dynamite. You know, uh, I ain't got no skills, you know. And so after 10 years overseas, we had no skills. So you're starting at the bottom of the rung of the ladder, you know, economically. And um, so it was really tough. I mean, on, on that sense where you're, you're trying to align your heart with the father's heart where he said what to do. And, um, there's, there's opportunities to do other things that would mm. be more financially incentive, but yet you're trying to hang on to in your heart, what God said to do, 
you know, so I'm just, I'm just sharing, you know, the conflict yeah. in my own heart the first two years. And, was, and you, were, like, you were selling uh, car parts at your, your dad's yard, weren't you? Was that? The- I was, I, I was making 10 bucks an hour and, you know, selling car parts and yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, and passing up on jobs that were worth five, six times worth that. And just trying to hang on to the reality of what God said to do, you know, so it was really tough on one sense of here's, here's reality. Here's what you feel like God said to do. And then, then you're in the middle of the mess, you know? So, um, I don't, and, I don't, I don't, and that lasted a couple of years of really challenged financially. And, um, is that right? Well, <laughs> The first two years was more related to my heart. Um, what What do you mean by that, related to your heart? Was it in terms of trusting God? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the side, I, I, I don't know how you describe it. There's one side I'm going... I call, I was thinking of it like the Rambo mentality, you know, that great American movie, you know, here I was in South Asia, run this great strategy and doing this or that, you know, whatever, you know, and, and then the reality is God doesn't really need me. And then here I am back in America, you know, washing cars, pushing brooms. And so I think that's the piece that was in my heart. that was really hard to understand where, you know, in South Asia, you're going after the heart of lostness. Now, now, you know, you're, you're, you're back in a rural Bible belt America. And so in one sense, there's a struggling with, um, I don't know, a friend of mine, Neil Perry, you've met, mm-hmm. you know, he asked me one day, probably about a year, two years in, he said, Jeff, I think you're angry with God. And, um, and, and I think in, in reality probably struck a chord that there was a little bit of that going, God, why'd you send me here? What, what am I here for? And so there was that wrestling with your heart in the sense of, we don't have the finances we had before where I can't put, you know, I can't put my kids in two or three great sets of shoes, can't buy them varsity jackets, can't mm-hmm. do the thing that I would have been able to do. And, and that that side of the dad providing, mom providing, and then the other side where you're like, man, we're back to square one, mm. and uh, where we came out of South Asia, the heart of lostness. Now we are here. We are in the Bible Belt. Yeah, you know. So I think that's what where my heart was colliding with the father's heart. Yeah, it was just what in the world? <laughs> what is this? You know, I, I, it's, it's hard to describe because my, my heart, my passion is for the nations, for the ethne, for the unengaged, unreached people groups. But I do believe God clearly called us back for a season. But, um, yeah, first two, three years were really tough on my heart. Mm-hmm. And then plus everything we did pretty much failed and we, we failed forward, you know, and um, definitely so. So failed in the sense that disciples weren't sticking and, and, and uh, church starts were evaporating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we spent three months trying to get in the first house and Hmm. six months before the first person came to Christ. And 
a year and a half in, we had people coming to Christ, a little bit of discipleship, a little bit of church formation, but no multiplication. And, you know, and um, I think that's when we hit that point in time, which has come many times, which is, you know, okay, God, why am I here? Why are we all here? Let's go back to the word. Let's go back to the spirit. Let's fast and pray, mm-hmm. you know? And so I remember, you know, the first time we fast and prayed for, I think it was 21 days and just the, you know, just going, okay, God, we, we've, we've laid all the principles out here. We put the tools the best we can, you know, as Steve Smith would say, we've, we've put all of the sails up in the wind. Mm. Um, but God, you got to do it, you know? And, um, you know, in, in the end, there really wasn't a whole lot of change in the strategy and what we were doing. Um, little nuances, you know, going from re- reading the Bible to telling stories, but, you know, God allowed a little bit of multiplication to begin to occur, you know, and, um, so to me, it goes back to that piece of, you know, it's the father's heart and, um, you can't separate the father's heart from, you know, the person, you know, strategy's great. Tools are great. You know, um, implementing great methodologies is awesome. But in the end, I think what God cares much more about is our hearts, you know, and, um, so, uh, you know, I think, um, for myself and Angie and others, it was just sort of a, you know, to this day, it's just God just keeps working our hearts. You know, he cares more about our character and integrity than he does um, necessarily the fruit or results. Mm. So sort of my take on, on the whole, you know, first several years, you know, and then, you know, one of the things that was shocking was, you know, you see a little bit of fruit and a little bit of multiplication and, People say, hey, man, what are you doing? You know, and you think back to Andy and, you know, God was doing this incredible work in Spindale and probably, you know, very effective um, church revitalization Mm -hmm. at at a minimal level, you know, there in Spindale, what God was doing through Andy and others. And um, uh, but that began sort of this, you know, this incredible opportunity where people said, hey, what are y'all doing over there? You know, and and just sort of that the reality of getting back to that question of who do you share with, why do you share it, hmm. um, what do you say, and how do you make a disciple, and that really became the first um, entree into like going over to Mississippi and Mississippi. We get to get this opportunity. We load a bunch of people in an old broken down, um, you know, I don't know, that wasn't a suburban, but a Yukon or something like that, and driving over with five, six guys who are all working full-time jobs and go over to Mississippi and um, do a training and, um, you know, just all volunteers. Hmm. And we end up meeting a guy named Zach and Zach doesn't really even take the training seriously. And, but in the end, Zach wins his oikos to Christ, you know, and I think the big thing that um Somebody was asking me the other day, what, what does it really mean to be no place left? Hmm. And for, for me, I'd love to think it's about big vision and getting all over the world and making sure every unengaged, unreached people groups engaged, every city's engaged, which, you know, I believe that. But for me, the first place it's got to start is um, 
man, do I, is it, does this, there's no place left literally start with my family, my daughters, my son. Does it really start with my neighbors? Does it start with friends? Does it start with those that I've been around all my life? You know, and I, and I really think that's the whole, the root of no place left for all of us really has to start with, man, do I love my family? Do I want my family to be disciple makers? Do I want my neighbors in the kingdom? Do I want my friends in the kingdom? Do I want my workmates in the kingdom? And the reality is if all of us had that heart that, um, you know, to me, that's a no place left heart. Mm. It's, it's not about the big strategy. It's not about every single unengaged, unreached people group. In the end, that's where we want to get. But it's got to start with the heart of going just, man, I'm going to draw a circle around myself and just say, I'm going to pray just like Mueller did. Mm. I'm going to pray until the day I die that that my sphere of influence is in the kingdom of God, you know, and I think that's, um, you know, that, that's, uh, that's really what this is all about is, is that reality that, um, man, do I, do I love my children, my family, my neighbors, my, my sphere of influence so much that, um, that that's where it all starts. So. And so that's what's sort of being written on your heart in those early years was, that you're you're out in your community, uh, you're training those around you, and you're learning to trust God for the bigger picture stuff. That uh, it's in His hands whether whether this goes viral, whether it spreads. Uh, but but you're you're going to stand in your identity. You're going to live this out in in your world. Was that sort of the heart of what was happening in those early years? Yeah, I, I really think it's the heart to this day. Mm. You know, in, in the end, um, my greatest personal legacy is my children being disciple makers. Mm. Um, Abigail, Luke, Miriam, Caleb. If, um, you know, we can reach the world. We can engage every unengaged, unreached people group. But for me, you know, my my kids walking with Jesus, being disciple makers. And then if I think about my friends, my neighbors, my extended relatives, um, you know, that that's that's really what it's all about. You know, and uh, man, I, I want to be involved in all the rest, too. But mm. man, if, if you gain the whole world but lose your family, you lose your sphere of influence. Mm. Um, I don't know. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd be, I'd be a broken man. Mm. So uh, the day I die, I'll fast pray, go to war for my family, my sphere of influence Mm. that um, we get to know, you know, we get to no place left. And um, you know, and you could on that one, you can ask my wife. I think we're both on board on that particular piece. So um, we'll, we'll go to war for that. Yeah. So you, you're also just refining the principles don't change, whether it's Nepal, India, or, or, or the U.S., but you're refining the tools um, and, and just sort of discerning what, what's God doing here in this, in this setting. But really, it's that that in the life stuff, 
that's going on and, and your um, personal disciplines, trusting God for finance. Um, but then there comes a time where the door does open and, and you start meeting other people and um, who have this heart and it begins to spread. And you're saying Mississippi was the sort of the first breakthrough with this going broader. Yeah, I, I think, um, well, Mississippi and Tennessee, for one, and and I guess I would say, um, you know, talking about you are refining the tools. I think the big thing is that natural, um, I think, one, before I even went to the field overseas, there was a 2 Timothy 2-2 that for whatever reason was drilled in my heart, you know, not to do anything alone. And then my mentor, Bruce Carlton, drilled that in my heart, never to do anything alone. So as it came back to the U.S., so I would never say that I was refining the tools. Yeah. I was this, I think it would be a we, you know, and I think I think that's really been the way it's been since day one, man. I, I've learned from so many people, you know, um, whether it's a, a Fred Campbell or whether it's a Zach or a Clint Harrell or a Neil Perry, it, it's been a constantly learning from others, you know, that, that God's Holy Spirit speaks to many, mm-hmm. you know, so I think it goes back to that, that principle of never do anything alone that Bruce shared with me. And I think biblically we see intrinsically in the life of Christ is Christ really did nothing alone. You, you have a few moments mm. in the life of Christ, you know, um, maybe you can go to the, the cross, you can go to the garden of Gethsemane you can go to those few times where he draws off alone, maybe to the, you know, the Mount of transfiguration where the disciples stood a few mm. feet away, but you know, he did everything in community with others, you know, and I think that's the, mm. that's that John 14 moment where, um, our, you know, his vicarious, and again, I use the word success loosely, his vicarious success was through his disciples, that his disciples would do greater things than he himself. And mm-hmm. I think as our Christ, who's very unique in his nature and who he is in the Godhead, but on, on another sense of discipleship, he expected his disciples to do something greater than he himself, you know, he, he left behind things we could imitate, things we could reproduce. And um, if that's our, our savior's heart, that should be our heart, you know? And so I think, I think that's part of what this is all about is that vicariously are we satisfied to see others that we pour into do greater things than I ourselves, than, than we ourselves, just as our savior was. The point is that, um, you know, we're, we're expecting our disciples to do something greater. So we give them responsibility and responsibility is like fertilizer. And if we give them responsibility, they're going to step up and they're going to do something greater than they expected. You know, and I, I, th- I think that's what, that's what Bruce did to me. Um, he threw me up in front of a group of people from South Asia and said, Hey, go teach. And I'm like, man, I don't know nothing. He said, well, tell my stories, you know, so I, I told Bruce stories, you know, but he gave me that, that opportunity. And, um, but, I, but I think that's the uniqueness of 
as we serve Christ is um, none of this is about me. None of this is about anybody else. It's about Christ and the uniqueness of his story. So we're literally telling his story. We're literally imitating his story, you know, and that's, that's the gloriness of um, the power of the word, the power of the spirit in what he does, you know? And so it's, uh, you know, so in the end, we're just really imitating um, uniquely what, what Christ has done, you know? So, um, so yeah, you know, I think the principle is, you know, never do anything alone. And mm-hmm. the other side of the principle is, you know, give responsibility to the people you're entrusting. Sort of that John 6 moment where, um, you know, many of the disciples in John 6, um, 58 through 68 or 66, somewhere in there, they want to, you know, a number of them are leaving him because they said, man, Jesus, this is a hard saying you know, eat of this flesh, drink of this blood. And even Peter's wrestling with this whole situation, you know. And in the end, what Jesus said is those who entrusted themselves to him, he entrusted himself to them. You know, and I think that's a lot of what discipleship and leadership is about, is, um, you know, a disciple entrusting themselves to you and you entrusting yourself to them. You know, one huge Kairos moment was, was literally that meeting in Wheaton where um, Steve and Ying, and, and I got a little bit of a platform there. You know, we got to share about T for T and four fields and, um, you know, but you, you go back to some early partners in this whole deal Man, man, they were in Wheaton, you know, so you think about Ray and Sarah, Troy Cooper, um, you know, Carol Davis was there. I mean, there were so many people at that meeting that have been so um, crucial, this whole thing. And some other guys in Houston and um, Denver and Charlotte and Columbia and Burke and you know I mean you know those those were really Kairos moments because um you know Zach brings Ron um you know and uh, there, there were a lot of connections even for me connecting to E3 when when you're getting on a wave and you're riding a wave you know and I think that was part of what the wave was it it just created these connections and um so you found a guy like Ray Vaughn, Ray, and, you know, and you begin spending time with Ray and he's, he's already got this in his heart, you know, so does great commission initiative. They, I mean, great commission churches has this in their heart. This is what they do. This is who they are. And so you're connecting dots and you're riding this wave. And then, um, of course, like, let's just take Ray moves to Houston, <laughs> begins a campaign, the tools, you know, and the tools are much more solidified by now and campaign the tools and you got a guy like Don Wainwright who opens yeah. doors that are um collaborative in nature so he's opened up doors of other churches mega churches networks blah 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 you know but it allows a guy like Ray who's young who's mm. serving and beyond his years to um you know connect with um uh you know folks like Trey Nine and Hip Hop Hope and um, Guy Caskey and 
you know, and, and then God does this really cool thing in Houston, you know, where you, you're seeing this no place left thing emerge in Houston and, you know, and then mimic that in 50 cities, you know, so, um, that, that that's, there's just a God thing to that, you know, so in reality, it's a work of God and it's a Kairos moment yeah. where God intersects a group of people that, um, I think for a long time I've had this on their heart and just sort of figured out, I think the day comes, who am I? What am I supposed to do? You know, and this no place left piece just really, you know, it's that, that that's the Kairos moment of this is what God has created me for, you know, and, and, and that's that intersection with the bride of Christ where in some ways the bride hasn't had room for some of its members, yeah. you know, and, and I think that's what's happening is um, no place left is um, working, I think, in tandem with the bride mm-hmm. and making room for those that have that sense of calling mm-hmm. that traditionally we've looked at and said, hey, that's only valuable overseas. But now we're seeing it's actually valuable for growing the church, is seeing this valuable for multiplying the church, multiplying disciples. And, you know, I think in a, in a way healthy. You know, so, um, but again, I, I, I would chalk that up to God, not, not a strategy. Um, you know, one thing that definitely helped was never do anything alone. So just that sense yeah. of I'm imitating my mentor who's trying to imitate Jesus and that we do everything together. And it's amazing when you do things together and you learn from one another, um, you know, cause I definitely don't know it all. And, uh, others don't know it all, but as we learn together with the spirit, with the word of God and the power of the word, um, you know, it's, it's amazing what God puts together by creating that atmosphere of learning together in teams, you know, and I, and I really, again, I connect that back to that, you know, um, I try to spend, you know, seven, I don't know, 60 to 90 days a year with seven people and, uh, about another 30 days a year with um, uh, another probably 30 people roughly. And then, you know, most, most other guys are imitating that one way or another, whether it's seven people or three people. And, um, you know, and, and I think that's really what makes up all of no place left is that mm-hmm. relational aspect of we're relationally learning together in word and spirit but at the heart of all of us is that beginning, no place left that starts with family, friends, neighbors, um, passions that, you know, we're, we're going to go after no place left first there. And then in the midst of that, God creates this hunger and desire to go after the gaps. You know, when, when I look right now of no place left, I, I think back and go, you know, there's a failing forward season of trying to align our sides with sell ourselves with the heart of God, you know, and then there became sort of a solidification of tools where, hey, these tools in general work. And then then there became a season of weaning and perseverance where you're persevering through, hey, we got great tools, but this ain't working. You know, there's a season of perseverance, but at the same time, in the midst of perseverance, there's a weaning literally as you're beginning to succeed and beginning to see God do some things, you're weaning away from tools and methodologies because in the end tools and methodologies will, they'll fail. They'll pass away. 
in the in the end, it's about the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, you know. And and um, and I think if I were to summarize the last two years of No Place Left and what God's done in the U.S. and globally is um, a shifting away from tools and I hope personalities mm-hmm. to the point of I've never seen so much fasting and prayer um, in my life among a group or a band of brothers as I have in the past year. So that's, that overwhelms me. Um, the other thing is this, the shift from, you know, and, and, you know, guys love tools and, you know, and a dog's got a bone and when he's got his bone, he loves his bone. But I really feel like a lot of um, many, many, many folks and leaders in no place left have been shifting from tools to biblical principles because we, you know, we stand on the word of God and the word of God alone and driven and directed by the Holy Spirit in, in the midst of abiding, you know, and um, so I think seeing um, that shift has been huge. And I think I think the other thing that, you know, I think the next step sort of from no place left and, you know, and even all of Christendom is to say, is it about our containers, our tools, or is it really about that John 17 moment where we one another, we love one another, we care so much for one another about the biblical principles that we really want to get to no place left for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we concentrically um, circle and uh, more or less circle the wagon around the gospel of Jesus Christ and plant churches that multiply um, for the sake of him, you know, and that becomes a rally point, not our methods, not our denomination. You know, there's, there's some things I'm willing to let die um, that might be dogma. Um, but I'm not going to give up the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ because the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ flows out into discipleship. It flows out into the church formation. It flows out into our ecclesiology and our development of leaders, you know, and, um, you know, so I think that's the next step for the whole of, you know, it's just, just my opinion mm-hmm. of, uh, Christendom is can we have that John 17 moment you know and um that's what excites me about no place left partnering with 2414 is just going can this be the next moment where um we we die to self on our methods but yet we unite together on um who we are in Christ you know and and literally could we um you know it's it's like the shot is going to be fired very soon for the last unengaged, unreached people group, the last city, the last urban place where we have strategies. Could the next step be in Christendom that we are advancing in strategy to where, you know, we're seeing multiplying disciples, multiplying churches among every unengaged, unreached people group, every city in the world. And could that be the next step in Christendom? And uh, I hope so. You know, and that's where I personally want to drive forth in my personal conviction. And, you know, and I, I want to unite with brothers and sisters in Christ to literally get to where there's no place left. So that, um, you know, cities and unengaged, unreached 
people groups have multiple times to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ demonstrated through the love of Christ, through a verbal proclamation from somebody's mouth to their ear um, repetitively, you know, in, in every context, you know, and um, I really think we're on the brink of that next season, you know, and um, that's, that's exciting, you know, and I think that would be an expression of what we're seeing in No Place Left, you know, so best my heart can describe. 